Welcome to the Real Estate Addicts Podcast with your hosts, Dan Rubin, HRV Homes. Ray Herto, HRV Homes. Mark Savatsky, Choose Boston. And joining us today is... Jason Sincata, the Sincata Company. What's up, Jason? Not much. Happy to be here, guys. Welcome. Uh, How was your Memorial Day weekend? Oh, it was, it was awesome. Thank you for asking. How about yours? It's good. What'd you do? Well, we just went down and saw the in-laws in Falmouth on uh, Saturday, left Saturday morning and didn't deal with traffic, came back Sunday evening, did not really try to push our luck there. So nice. it was fun. I got Smart. a three-year-old and a two-year-old. So oh. Ooh. yes, they, uh, they're, they're starting to get to the point where they can really enjoy the beach. The three-year-old at least can, can really enjoy it. So have it's you nice. taken him on a plane yet? Oh, well, yeah, uh, I have. We go down to Florida a lot both for work and for play. But also the, the you know, the, the eldest, in the first year of life, we flew like 13, 14 times. Like if I could give any advice, it's when you have the newborn to one and you can just strap them to yourself. Like that's the best time to take the flights. After that, it's it's a nightmare. Really? I mean, like, you know, we've got one that wants to jump up and run down the aisle. You know, you've got another <laughs> one who's, you know, screaming about whatever. And, and, and so, yeah, take advantage of it when they're young and they're immobile. Yeah, we just, I have a seven month old and we just took her for her first flight and it was nice because she isn't quite mobile yet. Yeah, so. they're nice. They'll, they'll sleep the whole time. Well, she didn't sleep the whole time. Okay. It was good. Yeah. It was good. Good. Worked good. out well. Good. Glad awesome. to hear it. Yeah. You, you rebranded recently, maybe a year ago. Sin- yeah. Sincata Companies. That's right. That's right. So it had been Evergreen Property Group, which was kind of, you know, 10 years ago, you, you pick a name because it's there. The market was a little different. The idea, or at least how I justified it, was evergreen is uh, you know a tree that's green throughout the winter, which was you know great symbolism. And uh, uh, yeah, it was 2009, so it kind of felt like the winter of our uh, our real estate development times. But I also I uh, I grew up on Evergreen Way, uh, so that, that that was the other reason for it. And nice. it I thought like, you were. I would have thought that it would been mean meant that you wanted to like build green. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, and I do, I do. Yeah. Um, no, actually, you know, not. No, it's definitely, it's definitely important to us. But it's not the only guiding principle of our investment and development firm. Over time, we we created a specific brand for our residential called Dwell Proper. We were starting to do hotels, and at the end of the day, you know, for the development firm, for the investment firm, we just needed a name for what we were doing, and you know, at the just had to put my name on the door. So for better or worse, that's how we've uh, we've we've tied it all together. I think it's for better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think I should even drop choose Boston. I think in the long term, it's you. People will remember. You know, this is a Jason Sincata building, or hey, that looks like something Mark Savatsky did. I think that's right. I think you're spot on, Mark. So you're going to go to the Savatsky Group, something like that, sometime. Nice. The mark has been used. Mm. The, the, <laughs> so. So Jason, you finished up 26 West Broadway. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about that building, um, South uh, Boston. We, we just sold it. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Good and, exit? Yeah, we're happy with how it went. That was my first ground up development and it was very bittersweet to let it, let it go. It was the first one, although I did end up living there, it was the first one where like, you know, residentially, I didn't move in and take a unit and like try to do some plumbing myself, which is <laughs> kind of scary in hindsight. But no, so it's, uh, it, it was kind of the first time that we, we did what I set out to do, why I wanted to get into real estate development and, and build buildings and, you know, kind of conceive of them from the start. So yeah, I mean, you know, to start at the end, the exit was good. We had a strategic buyer in Corcoran. They own 50 West Broadway. I think they looked at it like, hey, we can uh, take some of the cost out of this thing. 
Uh, we'll, we'll manage it next door. We'll do a brokerage from next door. We'll use our own maintenance people. And on top of that, it gives us an opportunity to have a high-end product here at, you know, Broadway Station. And uh, so they, they were a strategic buyer. And, you know, I think that we, we felt that in the price that we were able to get. So it was hard to let it go, but the timing was right. And like I said, it's, it's kind of bittersweet. I, I moved in there and we had our first kid there. So Can you talk was, a little bit about the project itself. What is sure. it and how, yeah. how it came about? Yeah. So, any amenities, particularly on the roof? Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So that project is a 31-unit ground-up construction building that we built. It's uh, steel and concrete. It's uh, 70 feet tall, although, you know, one of the penthouses kind of pierces it with some creative math there. It's underground parking. We did a parking elevator. And the, you know, the, the deal itself was kind of, it was kind of a miracle that it was still there because Broadway Station was kind of popping off when, when we were able to acquire the first part of our land that became 26 West Broadway. So it was a 7,300 square foot site. The first site that we bought was about half of that. Uh, there were two structures on it. It was directly across from the Red Line Station in South Boston, which is a highly trafficked station, one stop out of South Station. And, uh, you know, it was kind of a miracle the building was there. They were like in terrible condition. It had had some funky ownership over the years. People were building in South Boston right at that location. And uh, we were able to pick it up. And we got it at a price where I was pretty comfortable on a cap rate basis that we could hold it. The investment thesis there was that there were two years left on the Dunkin' Donuts lease, which was one of our tenants. And that alone could carry kind of our debt on the, on, on the project. So it was a covered land play, but a little bit more. And, you know, figuring that two years gave me time to go out there and permit design and, you know, get ready to build my first ground up development. What ended up happening was while we were under contract on it, the building with the Dunkin' Donuts burned down. Quote unquote burned down. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, get me out of that lease. Uh, it's uh, it's South Boston. There were some interesting ownership over the years. Uh, if you if, if we were off the record, I'd tell you what I really think happened. <laughs> no, uh, it, it it burned down, and it seems legitimate. I think so. It's uh, uh, at that point, Dunkin' Donuts. You know, they exercised their their right of uh, uh, of leaving as a result of kind of a uh, uh, you know catastrophe. <laughs> catastrophe. And they moved out. And so we said, oh my goodness, we're kind of developers on day one. We don't have any you know, time here to, to go and permit this, any time to go design exactly what we think is fantastic. Like, let's go. So um, the plan would have been to go through permitting while they were finishing off their lease. Because that's right. Because a project of that size would take, what, approximately two years, maybe a little less? Uh, it's, it's probably about a year yeah. uh, 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 to permit. You know, it was just under the large project threshold, uh, uh, which in the city of Boston, BPDA, uh, uh, there's large projects and small projects. Small project is 20 to 50,000 square feet. We were at 45. So it's a different level of, uh, of oversight. Small project review is not anything to, you know, laugh at either. Well, it's a year, right? Yeah. You know? I like how you also kept it to 70 feet because at 71 feet, you'd have otherwise triggered high rise. Yeah, building code. Right. Um, That's significant. So 70 feet is absolutely significant. It's probably 69 and 10 inches. Yeah. You know, it's like you want to be underneath it. So uh, a lot of costs that come and space requirements when you're thinking about you need a, you know, firefighters uh, outside the elevator, you know, mm -hmm. area of refuge on each floor. You need a certain fire control room with of a certain size at the lobby. 
Um, like a command center, yeah, that sort of thing. You typically yep. can't just rely on city pre- pressure for the water to, you need a massive pump to kind of supplement the pressure for all the risers and the fire suppression. So, yeah, anyway, I think the, small digression. The rule of thumb in the residential world, at least, is if you're going to go above 70 feet, you probably need to go above 90 feet. You know, like those next floor to two floors are probably not a high profit center. So, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because I, I'm 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 working in Florida as well, and and there's this new zoning on the table that will allow you to add a seventh story. So like you know, no one's ever going to build that seventh story, right? It's it's just never going to pay for itself because of you know uh, what part IBC. Of, what part of Florida? Uh, Sarasota, which is you know another story. Yeah, yeah. Building seventy five feet is like doing three years of college. It makes no sense. It's like <laughs> either just. <laughs> Go to ninety feet, or don't go to seventy-one. Like, right? Uh, it's you get versed in the technicalities of the building code at some point if you're if you're doing the type of building that we're doing. So you know, so like I said, we had half the site. We were able to buy an entitled project from a neighbor and a friend who's you know now you know a developer that's very prominent here, and uh, uh, he sold us the project, and uh, we did not you know we combined the two lots and, and went out and permitted this thirty-one unit building that we that we sold. Awesome. So you sold, you built it though. We did build it. Yeah. 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 And is it, is it, was it a rent, rental building? It was, um, you know, at the time, and we were permitting it in 2013. At the time, you know, we didn't know which market was going to be there at the end. And we designed it like it could be a condo building. And I kept saying, you know, imagine I want to hold this building for 25 years, which I thought I did. That was kind of our investment philosophy going into that one. We wanted to build a whole portfolio of boutique and scale, highly designed very high-level finishes, can compete with anything in the condo space. And we were going to kind of put it all into a portfolio. We thought like these massive 200, 300-unit buildings, highly amenitized, that was one thing. We felt like we could compete on rents with those competitors. And actually, we ended up competing on rents with with those competitors by putting a little bit more in the unit, by focusing on, you know, this is a boutique-scale building. You feel like you're living in a cool condo building. You don't feel like you have a named building, which is why we never put a name on it. We were like, you know, it's 26 West Broadway. That doesn't really add anything to have a name once you live there. So, you know, we found that the people who typically lived there were people having their first kid. I mean, every year in 30 units, we had like two or three different kids born. It was the last thing you rented before you bought a condo or you bought a house out in the suburbs. That's where you wanted to live. And, you know, that was what we thought was missing in the market. It's funny because you you, you kind of end up building for your life stage, I feel like, especially as we get into some of this hospitality stuff that we're doing now. It's like, what do I want to experience now? That's funny. I'm, I think I'm going to look back when I'm 50 and be like, you know, what was I like as a 30-year-old? That was like, that was some weird stuff. And, that, and that's true, actually, <laughs> for, for 26 West Broadway. Because we had this one penthouse that was a triplex, and it was a one-bedroom triplex where you had the living space on one floor, a bedroom on the second floor, and then a third floor, which was just the wet bar and an outdoor, you know, roof deck that was kind of surrounded. It was an outdoor courtyard. So, you know, you're going up two flights of stairs, you got a wet bar in your way, you've got, you know, this heat lamp for outside, you got, you know, grill hookup, you might put a, a, a hot tub in there if you wanted to. And like, that's definitely the uh, apartment I designed for like, you know, when I was a young bachelor. <laughs> Not with two kids though. Yeah, yeah. Fast forward like three years like, later, you know, we're moving into like a one bed plus office on the third floor, you know, because we were expecting a kid, you know, that, that, that apartment had no space for like a nursery. 
So, you know, I never got to use it and I probably wouldn't design that building again. And, you know, that's, that's, that's a funny one, you know. It, what were your costs over there? What, how much did it cost you to build that building? So I think everyone will laugh and feel sick when I tell them what it, what it cost in like 2014. We delivered in April of 2015, buying it out mostly in late 2013. We pro forma, I thought we pro forma 215 a square foot in hard costs. We built it for about 235 and, uh, that's a steel and concrete building. I mean, that's it's not bad. That's pretty good Ooh, for today's oh, that's standards. Insane. For today's <laughs> do a wood frame building. Nope. No, hard press. no, no, not no. with those finishes. No, and they are they're very high end finishes. It yeah. was all you know stainless steel. It was wood, real wood floors. I mean, we had a lot in that building. We did these giant sliders across the front, so like with 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 Juliet balconies, but glass railings in them, so you could open them up and get you know a 15 foot wide opening on the front of your unit right out of your living room and it was you know we had fun with it it was it was it was really i think something special in the rental space and our whole thought process was you know people want to live not just in a highly amenitized building not the pool the gym if you're really into gyms you have a gym membership at a gym that like reflects what you want in a gym you know you don't want a crappy basement gym in a 30-unit building. So, like, let's spend all that on finishes. Let's spend that all on really thoughtfully designed spaces. And I think people were saying, you know, for the same price, I could be at Ink Block, I could be on 315, you know, on A Street. And uh, and and I think they wanted to, you know, some people, I mean, it didn't need to be a ton because we only had 31 units, but some people said I'd rather rent in, a, in, in a, something that's a little bit different. So 26 West Broadway was your first project? No, not no. at all. <laughs> oh, you said it was your first ground up, though. It was. Yeah, it was. So, so you, what was your background, and yeah. how did you kind of get involved with what got you into real estate? Right, it's a good question. How'd you get to this point? So, my career in real estate starts with an internship between my junior and senior year of college at CBRE here in Boston. Before that, I had gone to college in Southern California, expecting to be in film production. That was what I wanted to do. Wow. Um, I was an English and econ double major. Believe it or not, most people I think would have guessed that like I really loved English and but I needed to like do econ so I'd be employable after graduation. It was actually kind of the reverse. Like I was really good at English, but like I really enjoyed econ classes. So <laughs> I took that and did that as my double major. So thought I was gonna be in film production, interned at Paramount Pictures while I was there. I was driving all over LA, delivering scripts and writing coverage on on different books that we might option, things like that, and realized I didn't love the product. Movies weren't you know, what got me out of bed in the morning. At least I had I, I thought they would be, but they weren't. And uh, I kind of really dug into it and go, you know, what, what, what is, what is, what I, what I liked about film production was that they were these three to five year projects that if you're a film producer, you're there from the beginning and you hire the, the writer, you, you hire a director, you oversee the casting, you get it financed, you work through the legal, all these different aspects to it. And you're really shepherding a project. That's really a creative endeavor. And, you know, you guys can probably see where I'm getting at. You know, <laughs> yes. that's what substantial real estate development is. I mean, we're there from the very beginning. And if you had gone on a date with me, like, you know, five years ago, I would have, uh, or hopefully longer than five years ago, I've been married for. <laughs> <laughs> but if you had gone on a date with me and you just said, like, what do you do? I would have explained real estate development this way. You know, who, who accepts the Oscar when a film wins a, uh, when a film wins a best picture? The producer stands up and accepts the Oscar because they've been there the longest. They're the ones who, saw it all the way through. And the real estate developers kind of like that. So I said, okay, I, I, I see how this is. I really love buildings. I was really into the built environment. I was into architecture. 
But then it was also like, and I should have gone back and read my cover letter for CBRE because I would have covered all this, but it was also like, uh, you know, there's politics involved. I'm really interested in politics. You know, it's intensely political to, 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 build, to build real estate projects. So we were talking about that before we got started, Mark. You know, yeah, right. You know, you have to be good at finance. You have to be good at math. You have to be good at design. If you really like the creativity of real estate, you can nurture that in you know, your own real estate development career and really focus on high design stuff if that's what you like. And so I said, okay, I'll be in real estate, right? So I'm interning at CBRE and go back to college for my senior year. I was able to get a job at a real estate consulting firm called the Concord Group, which still exists. They had a Boston office at the time. I was at their Newport Beach headquarters. They had a San Francisco. They have a New York office now. And they do feasibility analysis. They do programming. They do all sorts of stuff. But when I got started, their bailiwick, a lot of their billings was kind of big land deals for, you know, a company called SunCal, which was out of Newport Beach as well. And they, they would do these, you know, they would take huge amounts of lands and master plan, master plan you know, like 10,000 unit developments. They were land developers, which was a big business in, in 2007. I got to work specifically on multifamily urban infill residential, which was where I wanted to be. That was, that was the sexy stuff to me. And that's, you know, kind of how I got into the real estate business. And when 2009 came around, I said, okay, like, you know, there's not going to be a whole lot of development in the next couple of years. And uh, especially in the markets that we were typically advising on. So I said, all right, is this the time? Is this the time to go off and, 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 and start my own thing? I was able to pass the hat and get some friends and family investment. I said, I won't look dumb if I, if I buy buildings in Boston. So the advantage that I had was uh, my, my grandfather had started an electrical wholesaling company that had, and that my dad had bought from him and his uncles a decade beforehand. And they ended up owning all this non-investment grade real estate, which was they'd buy, you know, little distributors throughout New England. And if that distributor owned their warehouse or their location, they'd buy that too. So they owned some really crappy buildings. They owned some okay, owned some okay buildings. And my whole idea was how we were going to fund this real estate venture was if we start, you know, being more strategic about you know, where we should locate these branches and if we can lease some, sell off the buildings, we'll have 1031 money to go into investment-grade property. And that was how we got into, in, into development. So what was the first purchase then? So the first purchase, the first purchase was actually a, uh, uh, you can't even call it a trailer park because there were only three trailers on it. But <laughs> It is plural. I mean, that's more than one. <laughs> yeah, so it was three trailers adjacent to a, a little 4,000 square foot warehouse in Rutland, Vermont. That they owned as oh, a result. I've been to of, Rutland. Yeah, I've been to the Walmart in Rutland. That's that's the best commercial real estate in Rutland. And this this little warehouse was not a great investment, but you know we actually still own it. Uh, I thought that if we bought this trailer park adjacent to it, it gave us access to the street. You know, we'd be able to package it together and sell it off. We've since sold the trailer park, but still own the uh, the warehouse. So that one was not proven correct. But through exiting some of these non-investment grade, you know, industrial properties, some in good locations, some in bad locations, we were able to get the money together to go buy 158 Salem Street in the North End, which was a 10-unit building. And the metrics on that are hilarious when you think back to it today. It was a value-add property. The one beds were probably about 800 bucks a month. The, uh, the two beds were like 1,200 bucks a month in the North End on Salem Street. And uh, I... You know, I was so nervous. We were going in on a value add at a 625 cap. And I was like, this is crazy. You know, we were able to find a bank that would, uh, you know, bankroll us on the, on the acquisition based on, you know, our family relationships, which is, you know, one of the many 
you know, pieces of luck that I had along the way. But, you know, we were able to find a bank. It was like an asset best based lender who landed on warehouses and, you know, warehouse inventory. It was like, yeah, sure, we'll, 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 we'll do a commercial mortgage for you. And, uh, you know, we, 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 we rehabbed, we raised the rents, we did some capital projects and we, we got out of that one all right. And actually bought another 10 unit building in the North End on, on Margin Street. And, uh, you know, did the same thing, rehabbed, renovated, sold them off and uh, put all that money into 26 West Broadway. So 26 West Broadway, uh, you go ground out and then you got into hospitality after that because you've since, yeah. I've had breakfast at your hotel in Florida in Sarasota. Cool. The modern was was incredible. Oh, thank you. That's that's yeah. really very kind. I didn't get too far past the lobby, but from what I saw from the pool oh. and the lounge, well, that's because you snuck yeah. in like a samurai, <laughs> like I, or a ninja. I don't know. It was it was it was not great. I was I, I had this whole thing. I was like, you know, I had people looking out for you because you know I'm I'm in the hospitality game now. Right, I, right, I know yeah. how to find yeah. a guest and. Was going to show you a tour. Is going to comp your breakfast. Nah, Mark. Mark snuck in and snuck out. Well, so I, I wanted the authentic experience, right? I, it's like it's like when you go from Zagat's to, to review wine a restaurant. And dine. Yeah, no, I wanted I wanted legit. So um, so that anyway, was incredible. So tell us how, how do you start to even think about developing a hotel? You yeah. meet with Hilton and Marriott. You woo them. They woo you. How does this process work? The thing about hotel development is it's the least linear activity. In, in the history of Earth, like you couldn't map out a, you know, first we'll do this, then we'll do this, then we'll do this. It's like kind of everything has to come together at once, which is what's so overwhelming about it. In this case, what happened was my parents happened to have been going down to Sarasota, Florida for a little over a decade now. Fell in love with the town. They love it. And I go down and visit them and whatnot. And on different rides to the airport, I would see these old roadside motels, you know, along 41 which is uh, the Tamiami Trail. Tamiami Trail, it goes between Tampa and Miami. And they're like a relic of a time when people from the Midwest used to vacation by all getting in the car, just driving south until it was warm enough and they saw a motel that had vacancy and they'd pull in and they'd be like, this looks good. You know, there's a little uh, pool in the center of a courtyard. It was like a 15 to 30 room motel. And uh, that's where they'd spend their week for vacation. And I was like, these things are so cool. But they've like completely run down. A lot of them are rented by the week or the day, you know, but, or, but or as far as apartments. Or by the hour. <laughs> yeah, we ended up buying one that was that 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 was rented by the hour back in the day. That was the weirdest property tour I've ever been on. Um, <laughs> yeah. Every yeah, everything you can imagine that would go into an hourly motel were was in these rooms. It was, oh, it was, it was gross. <laughs> but so anyway, we're 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 knocking on the door of these motels because I was like, you know, I had just been finishing up West Broadway. I was like, you know, it would be fun, like kind of a hobby project. Like, what if I could buy one of these for like 30000 a key, put another 30000 in, find someone to live there and manage it. I could do a cool little motel. It, it escalated from there. Because I'd knock on the doors and these guys would be like, well, have you heard? We have this new North Trail zoning. And uh, now our property's worth two, three million bucks. And I'm like, no, no, it's, it, it's really not. It turns out I was right because there's just not a lot of development that's gone on on this road because, you know, the vagaries of the zoning are, are kind of, when you dive into them, there's nothing great there in terms of new construction. But as a result, I said, all right, I can go buy a piece of land in a better location and build my own motel for cheaper than this. So I did. I, I bought three quarters of an acre. It was a million five. The zoning was great for hospitality use. I ended up getting carried away. We bought two and a half acres at downtown Sarasota in this cool little neighborhood called the Rosemary District. So that's how we got started there. That's the Sarasota Modern? That became the Sarasota Modern. So the Sarasota Modern sits on three quarters of an acre. It is an 89-key hotel. It is a soft brand of Marriott called Tribute Portfolio. 
Entry Portfolio was uh, created under Starwood before the merger to compete with Autograph. Uh, the Autograph Collection, if you're here in Boston, you probably know the Envoy. If you're in Portland, Maine, you know the Press Hotel. There are these one-off hotels that if you didn't know they were affiliated with Marriott, you would never know. If you book directly through their website, it probably doesn't tell you. You know, they're, they're, they feel like independent this is hotels. Like Coors buying a microbrewery and not putting a Coors label on this awesome hipster beer. They feel like an independent boutique hotel. They should if they're done right. What you get from an advantage perspective is it really helps you with financing because the banks want to see that you have a relationship with a big hotel company. Helps you with different sales channels. You tap into their BT, their, their business traveler. It helps with occupancy once you're open, especially in seasonal markets. And, uh, you know, it, it makes it a more viable project. So we went out. We said we got this great idea for this hotel that we're going to call the Sarasota Modern. Hilton has Curio. Starwood had, uh, had Tribute at the time. Marriott had Autograph. We talked to all three. Said we want to do a, a soft brand. Uh, you know, collected the term sheets and, you know, we were on our way. We, we, we got, so what do they give you? What do you give them? So you give them, <laughs> you give them your firstborn child. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm joking. You know, you give them a lot. I mean, it works out to in any given year between 12 and 14% off the top at times, you know, depending on the So is it like a franchise relationship? Like yeah, I own so, a Jimmy John's. Exactly, exactly. Jimmy John's takes a certain portion of my sales so, and I get to. Yes. It's the lion's share of hotels now, if they're flagged, and maybe people know this, maybe they don't, are franchises. The Marriott family owns very few hotels at this point. You know, the Hilton family owns, I don't think any. They're franchising companies. They're brand companies and franchising companies, and they do that really well. And what they've pursued is called an asset late model, where they don't own the assets. At times, they would build the assets and sell them off, and they'd collect royalties for 20, 25 years by signing a management agreement with uh, the people who are going to buy the hotel. So that's become the nature of how you flag and how you brand in the hotel business. Um, and this is you know, a long history of this. In our case, we signed with Tribute. We promise them a percentage of revenues off the top, the gross room revenue. We give them marketing fees. We agree to certain things if you know sales come through their sales channels. And as a result, they give us some key money up front. So what that means is when we completed the project, Signed our certificate, you know, got our certificate of occupancy from the the city, and we're ready to open our doors. Marriott, in this case, because and I keep saying Marriott, I've switched over because Marriott bought Starwood while we were under uh, while we were developing our project. So now Marriott wrote us a nice check, and in that case, it was uh, seven hundred ten grand. Uh, so it works out to wait. Why, why are they giving you a check? You're, you're the franchisee, right? Right. So it's called key money. Okay. And as an investment in our project, they give us money when we complete it, and we have a 20-year contract with them to pay them money back over time. They'll make you know multiples in excess of that key money. But in order to support the growth of a new brand, um, they'll advance key money for our project, which helps lower our initial upfront cost on the project. What's the zoning process like in Sarasota, Florida yeah. versus Boston, Massachusetts? This is a great question. A lot of people, I think, would assume that Sarasota, Florida is you know, so much easier. And they have like kind of these thoughts in their head of it's like walking into the uh, the, the department in, in Houston and filing for your per permits and they just go, okay, and like check a box and you're ready to go build. It's not like that at all. So there's a lot of funny things in Sarasota, which is, you know, a mid-sized municipality. It's very seasonal. And as a result, it's, you know, very worried about expansive growth. And there's a big concern about becoming the next Miami. And as a result, their zoning is, and sometimes very liberal, but sometimes very stringent. And 
the code we were working under was they hired Andres Duani in 2003 to write a code for their downtown district. And I don't know if you guys know a lot about new urbanism or form-based zoning. They combined all of that into a zoning for a district, which is incredibly prescriptive. So it's kind of hard to work within. But on top of that, you know, there are a lot of boxes you have to check before you pick up your building permit. Unlike in Boston, where I have a great idea for a building, I'm going to go to the community, I'm going to go to the politicians, I'm going to rally support for the building, and I can get permits to go build it. Here, there's almost no public process if you don't want there to be. And most developers elect not to have any sort of public process. But instead, what they're doing is working through the details and the vagaries of the zoning code to try to massage everything from where your loading zone is to how many garbage pails you have and where they're going to be picked up to where your valet parking is going to be going. I mean, there are so many details that you have to answer and work through. So the equivalent to Article 80 in Boston, small project review, which we talked about earlier, or large project review, it probably takes about 12 to 18 months. So that's, would that would it be fair to say that that's still a least path of resistance versus going through the communities down there? You know, I, I don't think anybody's tried to do a Boston-style entitlement process in Sarasota, to my knowledge. I'm or a, anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost tempted. You know, you have conversations with neighborhood groups, and they are organized into neighborhood groups down there, like we are here in Boston. And we have some really smart ones working right around our hotel. And I would say that even if we didn't own a hotel and I wasn't interested in, you know, getting their support going forward. They're really smart. They really get it. They're good urbanists. They believe in their neighborhood. I really feel as though if we went to them and said, listen, the zoning code says I can build a 10-story building here. Instead, I'd like to build a 20-story building, but I'm going to take half my site and make a public park, which this neighborhood desperately needs. Would you guys support this? I think they'd said yes. And I, I think they would work through the details of what that public park had to look like and what the building looked like. And I like that part of the process in Boston. I would like to do that in Sarasota, whether the mechanism works in terms of, uh, of the entitlement, you know, and I mean literally whether the zoning department is able to make that happen for me were I to go through that public process, it's, it's just not, the infrastructure is not in place. So if you went through the community process in Sarasota, would, would that afford you not checking all these boxes, doing it the other way around? I, I just don't understand. Yeah. My answer is, I don't know. Because... Uh it is such a black box as to what that would even look like because nobody is pursuing projects in that fashion. Because obviously, if you just have to do this additional step and fill out all the boxes, well, there's really no... I like, uh, doesn't help anything. I like Mark Lacasse's take on entitlement. He says in Boston, there is no... He doesn't get why people call it the entitlement process because yeah. you're not entitled to anything. Uh, I think he said you're not entitled to nothing. Not entitled, that's right. That's a good quote. <laughs> I, think, I think that's a great point. And I think where it really works in Boston, and I think, you know, I listened to Mark's episode. We appreciate you listening. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a devoted listener yeah. since I found out about this podcast two weeks ago. Ricardo's episode came out today and Jason's like, oh, given like... So you binged them all. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like you know, yeah, it's like if you're late to the game in Veep. And like, you're like, I'm going to watch like six, six episodes of Veep because I want to catch up to date and like see what game happens to Julia oh, Louis-Dreyfus. 90 hours. It was sick. Like, you know, I was up all night. My eyes were all red. I... I my, my uh, wife's like, go to bed, Jason. No, I was I like, I gotta, a real estate addict. <laughs> I, was like, I, gotta, I gotta find out what happened to Matt Edlin. <laughs> so, so tell us about hotels in Boston because sure. you're um, you're working on something right now in South Boston. Yeah, uh, some might know it as the Enterprise Rent a Car site next to Doughboy Donuts. Yeah. So this is a corridor 
of Boston, which has recently been rezoned and you have a lot of history. This is a site you acquired. Has it been rezoned yet though? Are they still? No, although people are buying sites as though the planning study, which has been adopted, is the guiding principle. So that's really interesting. They engaged in a long planning study and the results of it are kind of an adoption of a set of plans that would inform zoning. But instead of actually adopting it as zoning, to my knowledge, they have not gone forward and done so. So what people are doing is they're going through the traditional variance process, which is a big part of the zoning process. And go back and listen to Mark Lacasse's episode if you, uh, if you need to be uh, reacquainted with that. People are going through the variance process and saying we substantially comply with the details of the planning study, which is called Plan.Av. And for those reasons, we should get our variances so that we can go build a much bigger building. So the, the site that we bought is in a manufacturing one district. And we tied it up subject to permits, which uh, is, is, a, is a good strategy when you can do it. We tied it up subject to permits in late or, or early 2015, late 2014. I don't remember exactly now. We were able to permit a 33-unit development on it very similar to our 26 West Broadway project. And, you know, kind of that picks up where we talked about there, where I thought I was going to build a whole portfolio of really, really high design, boutique and scale rental buildings. And then my exit was going to be, I was going to package them all together and sell them to, you know, the big institutional investor. I thought that was my strategy for for making money and as a real estate developer. We were able to permit something that we really liked. And as we were going through it, we started to hear that there was going to be this planning study. And I thought the highest and best use for the site, both for, from our perspective and from the neighborhood's perspective, was a, was, was a much taller hotel project. At the time, we thought there was going to be a condo component to it. For various reasons, we don't think that's a good fit for what we're building there. Uh, it's, it's tougher to do in, in Massachusetts than you think. Condos are typically heavy lifts yeah. in, in terms of that whole process. Well, you know, one of the things that's interesting is there's some there's some Massachusetts state law that in, impacts how you're able to divide up the note, and you can't write a separate mortgage between the condo and the hotel use. So you really have narrowed down the pool of lenders that you can go to. And it felt like with at the time I I had never built a hotel before, for that matter, I've never built a condo project before. I felt like I was going to limit my pool of lenders beyond a viable real estate project. So we thought that the hotel was the highest and best use for that site. Um, we thought that something a little bit more substantial than 70 feet was appropriate for that site. It's a half-acre lot. Manufacturing one district means that we could have built a 22,000-square-foot manufacturing uh, you know, uh, <laughs> a, a warehouse on it. <laughs> That's always a good card to play. Well, if you'd prefer, yeah. I'm happy to contract yes. with Ford. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, Your listen, hotel's looking good. Our tenant, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, provides a really important service to the residents of South Boston whether or not that site in that district is the right spot for an enterprise rent-a-car is up for debate. I think the planning study suggested, no, we'd like to see something more intense along the Dot Ave corridor between Broadway and Andrews Square, which is one of, you know, which is on the red line right outside of downtown. It's, you know, one of our best public transit corridors that we possibly have. And sitting there is possibly, you know, the last large-scale development anywhere near downtown in the city of Boston. Like what the Seaport District was, instead of parking lots, just a lot of industrial. Yeah. So, I mean, the Seaport District dwarfs what will be on Dot Ave. But I like to think about Boylston Street and the Fenway. And if you remember going to, like, you know, Sox games when you were much younger, like, it was, it was you know, a bunch of gas stations. McDonald's. Yeah. A shady motel. Yeah, yeah. McDonald's. Yeah. yeah, Burger King, a shady motel. And I love shady motels. You know, we've, we've since bought some in Florida. <laughs> But, you know, 
look at what it is now. And when people ask me what .av could turn into, I say, look at Boylston Street in the Fenway, except much larger. The sites are bigger. The buildings will be taller. It's got much better transit than Boylston Street in the Fenway. And to me, it's the most exciting place to be invested or building right now in the city. So have you have you gone through? Are you is it fully approved? Yeah. What? So it was, you know, we we talked we threw out 12 months before. No, it, we're waiting for a planning study. We in some ways kind of like drafted on what the BPDA was doing in terms of their planning endeavors and said, okay, we'll we'll, we'll sit back, we'll let you kind of create space for us to operate. But all the way through, we were getting involved in neighborhood groups. We were meeting with people. We were talking about, you know, what is right for this district. And we were advancing our ideas. Now, if you read the planning study, it'll say hospitality use is discouraged. We were able to get variances for a hospitality use and a project that I think is really great for the neighborhood and for us by making the case specifically for our specific project, which is a 159-key hotel that we were entitled uh, that we were able to entitle uh, uh, through the process. And uh, it's about a 90,000-square-foot building. It's 115 feet tall. And, you know, the community process that we've been talking about in Boston is you show them all the details. You meet with the neighborhood stakeholders and you say, you know, picture yourself on this roof deck. This is the type of stuff that we build. This is what the building will look like. And uh, I, I think there was a lot of buy-in on, on what we were able to put forward. How did that affect your zoning contingency by changing the use of the initial plan midway through? So what happened was we went forward, we got enforceable permits on the 33-unit building. We, we successfully permitted it through the variance process, closed on the land, and said, okay, at worst, we'll end up with a building that we like at a price we can pay for the land that it will be a successful project here for this 33-unit building. And you know, if we waste a couple years of our time hoping that we could build something bigger, we wasted a couple years of our time. And, uh, and that's what we were able to do. So we were able to buy the land. And we've owned it, you know, with Enterprise Rent-A-Car as a tenant throughout our permitting process for the much larger project. Congrats on that. Nice. Yeah, I can't wait to see that hotel go up. Thank you. Hey, you guys ready for some overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated? Yeah. All right, I'll kick it off here. I think our listeners are familiar by now with the rules. So uh, my first one for you, Jason, is Hotel.com or Travelocity? Uh, neither. Well, yeah, aggregators, right? Is no, the- book direct, guys. Ah. You know, I'll give you a couple of uh, insider tricks, which is that you should call the front desk. You're going to get much better service when you're on property because if you have a hotel that you specifically want to go to, just call the front desk and make a reservation. They keep track of what, what, what channel you booked on. And those aggregators take... You know, it depends on the hotel because they'll negotiate individual agreements, but maybe 15%, maybe 20% off the top. And, you know, as a result, they're not going to give you all the special treatment. And I'm not saying that we wouldn't take care of everybody and make sure they have a special experience at the Sarasota Modern (laughs) or our future hotels. But in this case, like, it, it pays to, you know, have that direct relationship with the hotel. Swimming pools, indoor swimming pools. Indoor swimming pools. I'll say uh, underrated only because... Michael Bongiorni on my team was a collegiate swimmer, so you know he needs to put them in the in the projects. I like the indoor and outdoor pools where there's yeah. like a wall and you swim under it. Oh, yeah. I've been to one, I've yeah. gone to one of those. You're just sweet. There was yeah. like an automatic door that opened. Oh wow! It was it was in Switzerland. Dan stays at what? very fancy hotels. No, no, that's like. <laughs> I have a friend who uh, his motto is, uh, yeah, I'll sleep under the stars because I like to do a lot of camping. And he goes, yeah, five stars, five-star <laughs> hotels. 
<laughs> yeah, no, uh, uh, those were the dream when you were like That's a high a school student one. on a ski trip, right? I mean, you could uh, swim out from, from indoor pools and like it's cold outside. Yeah. Lynn, Massachusetts. Oh man, is it underrated? Um, <laughs> no, you know, it's, it's actually becoming properly rated because people have discovered it and uh, developers have discovered it. It has an infrastructure. First of all, it's really close to downtown. I mean, there are parts of Boston that are further from downtown than Lynn is in terms of a time that it would take you to get there. But it has a feel, and I love this stuff. It has an urban core and a scale of small streets, certain sizes of buildings, proper height that could allow for, you know, retail on the first floor, residential or office on the upper floors. And the building qualities there, you know, from where from the era in which they were built, we built really special buildings and they're gorgeous. I mean, I'll put them up against anything in like, you know, the Fort Point portfolio or anything in the South End in terms of, you know, beauty of the building. There's such opportunity there. Someone's going to figure out how to make it work. And I think it's going to be in some ways a neighborhood of Boston, but also in many ways its own city that's that's really fantastic that people are going to want to live in and they may commute downtown, they may not. I, I, I'm I bullish on, on on office there in the long run too. I mean, I just think that there's a need for office buildings that don't cost 70, 80 bucks a foot. Airbnb investments. Investments? Well, so, oh. yeah, we... Yeah, if you're an individual who's going to buy an off, you know, buy a residential building. You are pro forma-ing as an Airbnb play. Just don't do it. You know, the mass law does a lot to even the playing field. I think that it's bad for cities. It's bad for residents. You know, hotels, it's a complicated business. It's a really hard business. Um, I've learned that a little bit the hard way and a little bit with eyes wide open going into it. It's an operations business. You're worried about the safety of your guests. You're worried about how you're a good neighbor. And when people go in and they take five-unit buildings or 10-unit buildings and, and take them out of the housing stock and turn them into de facto hotel rooms, it's not good for the overall environment. I think there's a lot of political risk to it. I think that the pro forma may, may sing um, as an Airbnb as compared to what you could get in certain cases. But I, I think for all the reasons you just mentioned, in the long term, I think more and more cities are going to implement the laws like Boston already has. Mm-hmm. And so you shouldn't count on it. Yeah, if you're well, doing- I don't think Boston was the first. Oh, no, right. no, no, no. Yeah. They, they certainly weren't. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's not like we're a leader here. It's also really tough to scale, right? It's, it's really tough to manage um, until you get I think, I think a lot of people will learn once they're in the hospitality operations business that A, it doesn't scale like you thought it did, especially across buildings, and B, it's a lot more intensive and the costs that you didn't perceive of that are there are there and they're right. hidden and they're going to surprise you. Yeah, if you're a landlord and you're a little fed up with helping the tenants out and providing all of the maintenance and nonsense there, yeah. Hospitality is just going to be like 100 times worse. (laughs) How about 24-hour services? Uh, At a residential building? Just in general. I mean, Boston, like Boston versus New York, right? New York is a city never sleeps. Boston goes to bed early, right? So (laughs) should we move more towards that model? I think... No. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm I'm old now. I have I have kids. <laughs> Should we have asked you this ten years ago? You know, like the reason I, the reason I got into whole hotel business was like you know I hung out in New York City and I was like this is the coolest, right? And I haven't seen the sunrise in a long time from like the night before. If there's a if there's a market for it. Like, sure. I, I I don't think it's like harmful. I think like you know having 24 activities really good for a city and healthy for a city. I'm not going to partake in it. Remembering back to when I was 23, 
I don't know that it would have been good if it had been available to me. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing good happens after two. That's right. I think that's true. So furthering that, going back, what about amenities in residential buildings like concierge, like Mm. doorman, all that stuff? So yeah. um, I, I know you, sorry, I know you said that, you know, gyms, you know, you rather have someone get a gym membership, but what about some other amenities? You know, we attacked it and... You know, everybody has their own investment thesis and everyone's trying to fill their own market niche. But we attacked it from thinking, you know, I don't want to opt into a slate of services when I rent an apartment building, rent in an apartment building where I become a resident. I want to be able to pick and choose a la carte what's important to me. And, you know, if you can't build a gym that's going to compete with Equinox in your, in your apartment building and your guest or your resident really cares about gyms, they're going to go rent, you know, they're going to go get a membership at Equinox. Plus, people want to go to the gym by their office. You know, so like the the gym or the, the screening room or the dog wash station, I mean, not everybody has these things. So bundling services in this way and the amenities war, I, I, I don't think this is a sustainable long-term thing. And I think it's a poor use of space in these buildings. So to me, I'd, I'd rather build really excellent apartments. So overrated. Yeah, overrated. I'm right. oh, sorry, I forgot. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> the game. Last one here. Vehicle charging stations. Mm. Okay, so I'm I'm a big electric vehicle guy. I, I mean, I I have a Tesla. I, I, right. lo- I, I, I just think it's the future. I think that you should include it in your projects if you're building them. Hey, Jason, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a lot of fun. Yep, it's um, been great. If people wow. want to get in touch with you, follow Sincata Companies. How can they do it? Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure we're on Instagram at Sincata Co. But you can also send me an email. I'm Jason at Sincata, which is C-I-N-C-O-T-T-A dot C-O for Sincata Company. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Hey guys, thanks for yeah. listening. Yeah. Thanks for rating, reviewing, sharing. We love See it. See you on the next one. Signing off. Take care. Cheers. <laughs>